When I was a freshman in college, I had a friend who had lots of adventures. He was a security guy for businesses downtown Portland. He was private. They hired him just to go around and check all the doors and check the stores. And um, I would go with him periodically in his car at night when he went to check. And it was always an adventure. I mean, every time I went, something happened uh, that was fairly exciting and scary. And uh, the, the most exciting thing, though, was I got in the car with him and another buddy got in the car with him and we took off and he says, we're going to do something different tonight. I said, what's that? We're going to go pick up prostitutes. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, we're going to go witness to prostitutes. How do we do that? We pick them up. They think we're customers. And then we share the good news of the gospel with them and we kick them out and go get another one. <clears throat> now, I have to say that was probably the most exciting night I've ever had in my life. So can you imagine what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus? The Bible says that if everything that Jesus did were written books, the world couldn't contain them all. And so you're hanging out, going with Jesus wherever he goes. And, and uh, you know, he turned water into wine and he fed thousands of people with a couple of loaves and fishes and just event after event, miracle after miracle, and they were with him. Number uh, one in the notes that I have, the disciples of Jesus saw literally hundreds of miracles done by Jesus in his three years of ministry. Probably thousands, if we knew the truth. They were with him, they saw it, they experienced it. Just one of them, Matthew fourteen twenty five. and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it's, it's, it's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. And then uh, Peter attempted to walk on the water. And then when they both got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Now they make that statement literally dozens of times. You are God, you are God's son, you're the Messiah. As a result of what they see uh, that he does. John eleven thirty eight. Jesus heals Lazarus, uh, heals him, raises him from the dead. He'd been dead four days. Now Jesus had been dead four, uh, three days. So this is one up from himself. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave. The stone was lying against it. Sounds like the one that Jesus was buried in. Jesus had removed the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine what that was like to be there and see that? That would have been amazing. Matthew fifteen thirty, large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, 
and many others. They laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. He healed them all. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing. They glorified the God of Israel. What would you think were you if you were there with all of that? Number two, they often declared, the disciples, that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, God himself. They would make that declaration repeatedly, uh, that they believed that this is who he was. Luke 9.20, and he, Jesus, says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you're the Christ of God. John 6.68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. That statement was made repeatedly in the Gospels by the disciples as a result of seeing all that he did. Number three, Jesus often taught his disciples who he was, his mission, that he was going to be crucified, buried, and three days later rise from the dead. He told them this information repeatedly. I am God, I will be crucified, I will die, I will be buried, and I will rise again three days later. He explained that to him over and over. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show. To show. That's more than just simply to tell. That means to explain carefully. When I was in high school, my brothers and I used to catch baby skunks. And... uh, we would dissent them and sell them. We were going to get rich. Now, when we went to the veterinarian the very first time, when he dissented the skunk, and my brother Cliff was going to be the official dissenter, the veterinarian showed him what to do. Now, you don't want to mess up on that operation. <laughs> so you explain carefully and you listen carefully. That's this word right here. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Was no surprise. He said it repeatedly. That's Matthew 16. Again in Matthew 17, while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And then again in Matthew 20, As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. On the third day, he will be raised up. So they, they knew it. They heard it from the one who had walked on the water, the one who healed hundreds of people. The one who fed uh, the multitudes. When Jesus was arrested, crucified, buried, it seems like it would have been easy for the disciples to say, no big deal. We'll see him again in three days. Seems like it. I remember one time I was playing poker. And I had a royal flush. Only time in my entire life. And I had six other guys at the table. They, I think, had pretty good hands as well. Now, I was trying to look calm, not excited. And so they were 
betting and I was betting. Well, okay, I guess I'll put a little more in if I have to. And, but I knew what I had. And that it was going to come to a point when I was going to lay my cards down. And then they would know. So, it seems like the disciples, Jesus gets arrested, gets crucified, gets buried. They'd say, ha, we're going to show those dudes in about three days. Jesus is going to run around. It seems that way to me. But instead of being full of faith and excited about the Messiah, conquering the Romans, the devil, and death, they were unbelieving wimps. Mark 16, 9. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him, that's his disciples, the one who had seen everything that he had done, the ones who heard from his own mouth that he was going to be crucified, buried and rise again three days later. While they were mourning and weeping, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. They refused to believe it. John 20, 24, Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is a later experience when he actually appeared to them. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Then he says this, Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's me. I never saw any of those miracles. I didn't hear Jesus' voice. I didn't see him after he rose from the dead. But I believe. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he left heaven, became like me, like you, that he lived a perfect life, not sinning even once. I believe that when he was nailed to the cross, God took my sins, every one of them, put them on Jesus, and looked at Jesus as if he actually did it, and then punished Jesus, poured out his wrath on his own son. For my sins, he died, he was buried, and he rose again three days later. I believe that without a doubt. So, these guys are a bunch of wimps. Now that is a point that's important. How do you get faith? To get it from seeing, experiencing, watching Jesus walk on the water, heal the multitudes, feed the, the crowds? Where does faith come from? They didn't seem to have it, even though they seen all those things. They um, had no faith in spite of their experiences. So we get faith not from experiences. We get faith from God. It's a gift he gives. But he gives just a little bit. And you respond to that. Then you get more. And it grows. It grows. Number six. Faith is a requirement to get saved from hell to heaven. That's how you get saved. You believe the gospel. 
You believe it to be true. Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Romans 10.9, And if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Faith is a requirement if we're going to do anything with our life that matters. It's a requirement if you're going to accomplish something other than mowing your lawn and washing your car and feeding your dog and paying your mortgage. Matthew 17, 20, he, Jesus, said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, he was always, always on their case about their faith. Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move nothing, nothing, nothing will be impossible to you. But faith seems to be in short supply. In the average person, believer, that is Christian, church attender, or not. So, how can you tell how much faith you have when something happens that um, you didn't know about? Something takes place that's a little bit unnerving. Something threatens your security. That's when our faith is tested. Like the disciples, they whined and cried. We thought he was the Messiah. Luke 18, 8, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find any faith on the earth? Matthew eight twenty six. he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Matthew six thirty. If God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Number nine, many people are unable to accept the free gift of eternal life in heaven because they don't have faith. They don't have faith. You have to believe that Jesus is God. You have to believe that he became flesh. You have to believe that he lived a sinless life, that he took your sins upon himself. You have to believe that he paid the price of your sin. You don't have to do that, that he died and he rose again and he's alive today. Hebrews 4.2, for indeed we have had good news preached to us. Good news, that's the gospel. Just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith. They heard the gospel, but didn't do any good because they didn't believe it to be true. Hebrews 3.19, so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. They were not able to enter because of unbelief. There are some who have strong faith and it's constantly getting stronger. They have strong faith and it's constantly getting stronger. Romans 4.20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not, speaking of Abraham, did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith. Grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Matthew 8.10, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who are following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in all of Israel. 
How do you get faith? How do you grow faith? Number 11, God gives faith to those who seek him. To those who seek him and seek for answers. He gives a little bit and then you move towards it and he gives more and you move towards it and your faith grows stronger. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. He rewards with more faith when you seek him. How do you do that? Come to church, read your Bible, pray, ask God, show me. I want to know. I want to know. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Psalms 27, 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. James 4, 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Romans 1, 19, that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. He put it in us, every person. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God give thanks. They became futile in their speculations and in their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. So he puts it in us. And if we seek, seek him, we will get more and more and more. The faith killer in our life is the world. Both the problems, the trials, the good things, the bad things kills our faith. I used to raise tilapia. I had a greenhouse. It was an aquaponic system. It was really cool. I had 100 fish in a tank, 300-gallon tank, and, and pumped that water in, grew spinach. It was awesome. One day we had a fire. There was a mint truck that had his it didn't set it down, and I hooked the power lines going out, and they sparked across, and, and uh, it, uh, a piece of insulation caught on fire and dropped in the wheat field next to our house, and it started burning, big fire. And, and because of the short, it flipped no electricity. Our water pump didn't work. So I had a coat in my shop where I worked on my car, and I grabbed it, and I put it in the fish tank, got it wet, and went out on the fields, and I began beating on the fire. Kept the house from burning down, the trucks from burning down. And then the fire truck came, and the guy came up and says, Mr. Ingalls, we'll take over from here. <laughs> I was pretty proud of myself, saved the house. But then when I walked into my fish room, they were all dead, every one of them. My coat had gotten in the antifreeze on it, and evidently fish don't like antifreeze. Killed them in a matter of minutes, dead. Your faith can't handle loving the world. Your faith gets killed when you have a problem and you can't figure out how to solve it. Matthew 14, Peter said to him, Lord, it's, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. As soon as he looked at the problems in the world, down he went. <clears throat> so it's a good question to ask. How strong is your faith? <clears throat> 
Jesus looked at you, would he say, oh, you of little faith? Or would he say, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Abraham grew strong in faith. And so, a key is saying, I believe. Verbally, out of your mouth, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God. I believe he became flesh human. I believe he died in my place. I believe. It's amazing. God has said when you declare your faith, it grows stronger. But when you say, I'm afraid, then it gets weaker. So communion was designed by Jesus to be a point at which we would regularly say, I believe. Eat the bread, you drink the cup. It's a picture of the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. And so tonight when you eat the bread and drink the cup, as you do so, you can say it softly or you can say it loud. I believe. And your faith will grow. It's a simple little principle. Simple little concept. It works. With our mouth we confess. Romans 9 says, 10 says. And so we say, I believe Jesus is God. I believe he died for me, for my sins. And when you do, when you say that, you grow strong in faith. Communion, every time you take it, designed by God to be a faith-building experience because you say, that's bread. It's Jesus' body broken for my sins. This cup is his blood shed for my sins, and I believe he did that for me, and I'm going to live forever in heaven. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great gift of our salvation. Thank you for what you went through, Jesus, to purchase it. And we would declare to you tonight that we believe with all of our heart that you, Jesus, are God, that you came into this world, that you lived a perfect life, that you took our place, you took our sins upon yourself, you became our sin, and you experienced the wrath of God against yourself for that sin that I committed. I believe that. You died, you were buried, you rose again, you're alive today, and I'm going to live with you forever and ever because I believe for no other reason. Thank you for that great gift that you've given us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.